everyone. Welcome to the Farmer Sense Podcast. I am your host, Rick Willert. With me as always is Andrew Fuff, my wonderful co-host. How are you today, Andrew? Good, Rick. How are you doing? I'm doing good. we got a couple other guests here. We're going to introduce them in a little bit. Andrew and I want to talk about what we did this week. What are you up to, Andrew? Well, this week's been a busy week here. It's Friday when we're recording this. I did some... Uh, conference calls for Mosaic Biopath, talking about the trials that I did and and how easy the product was to use. Kind of just finishing up the final touches of what my plan is for this next growing season, getting everything lined up, make sure going into planting, I have all the stuff that I'm planning on doing and what trials and pulling some trees. What about yourself? I'm interested to hear about your fun travels uh, last week. Ah. You sent me a text message and it made me laugh. Yeah, I kind of forgot I was going to go into detail. This might take a while, but I'll make it quick. Um, yeah, so uh, a week ago, Saturday, I left for Nashville to go to the agmarket.net conference, and uh, which was a great conference. We're going to get into more of that, but took off. Um, for those people that don't know, I'm right in between Minneapolis and Des Moines, so it's just whoever's cheaper where I fly out of, and I Took off towards I-35, was just headed about 30 minutes north to Minneapolis. And for some reason, I looked at my my pass to make sure what time we were boarding. And it said DSM on it. I was like, DSM, that stands for Des Moines. MSP. Des Moines not in Minnesota. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, shit, I'm driving to Minneapolis right now. I need to be in Des Moines in a couple hours. So... Right away, I'm like, screw I was driving my wife's Jeep Cherokee, and I thought maybe I'd do a little off-roading, so I turned around in the center median right on 35, which I've done many times, and right behind me is an unmarked state trooper. Yeah, he asked me what I, why I was turning around, and I said, oh, you know, I'm going to the wrong airport, you know, I'm in a hurry, I do this all the time, and he's like, really, you turn around in the median all the time. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm being honest. Uh, he didn't like my honesty. So $220 later, uh, got to Des Moines on time, uh, had a connecting flight in Des Moines, or in Dallas, excuse me, Des Moines to Dallas. Dallas, we're just getting ready to take off. They just backed the plane off and unhooked it. And there was these two 20-year-old kids just wouldn't shut up. One was on his phone. And, of course, they were talking during the whole... Uh, Safety uh, brief. Yes, thank yeah. you, Brian. Thank you. And the, the the girl looked over at him, and she's like, excuse me, guys, you, you know, you have to be off of this, otherwise we're going to start the whole safety brief over. Uh, he's like, oh, no, dude, no problem, man. You know, like, we hear this all the time. I mean, they were complete, like, from the X Games type kids. I mean, straight up. The headphones on, you know, they were just obnoxious as hell, loud. Um, I mean, the airplane wasn't very open or very very uh, full. So the one kid's like, oh, this is so scary, man. It's like it's like a Twilight Zone thing. Or is this going to crash or something because there's like nobody on this plane or are we not going to land and he was total obnoxious but anyway we got to hear their whole life story on this telephone call and finally the, the they wouldn't listen to the to the stewardess so she went up front they stopped the whole procedure 
pilot gets on the on the radio, tells everybody we got two people here, we need to get off this plane, blah, blah, blah. Hour and a half later, <laughs> they finally get these kids off the plane. <laughs> Something I've never – and nobody was videotaping with their cameras. I thought that was kind of strange, but – yeah, anyway. I didn't see the video of that on Twitter. Yeah, no, I thought about it, but then me and this uh, really nice guy next to me, we were we might have said a couple of things too because the, the security guards actually turned around, and looked at us, and they're like, you know, just <laughs> th- we'll get them off. So they did, and I think everybody got their connecting flights, which I didn't have one. I just that was straight to Nashville and got there. Got there at six p.m. Had a couple drinks, a couple old fashions, went to bed. So that was pretty exciting, but I was at probably one of the best marketing conferences I've ever been to. Right, Brian? Right, Jesse? We got a lot of good feedback about the conference, and I think it went really well. Yeah. So we got Brian Split with us from agmarket.net today and Jesse Allen from Market Talk and Agriculture of America. I very much appreciate you guys being here. We I spoke to both of you at the conference, and... I got a little bit of history with both of you, and I really appreciate you coming on. It's awesome. Happy to yeah, be here. Absolutely. We are uh, always happy to, to help out. And uh, Jesse and I have done a lot of work together over the last couple of years for, mm-hmm. uh, for Market Talk and AOA. And uh, so we have been able to feed off of each other, and we communicate very well. And uh, I like sharing market ideas with Jesse. So it's cool that we get to be here on your podcast together at the same time. Yeah, normally I'm the one asking Brian the questions, mm-hmm. and he has to give me the answer. So it's a yeah. it's a different feeling uh, being one of uh, the folks getting interviewed yeah. uh, and and doing it with Brian. I, I said uh, absolutely when you guys uh, sent out the invite. So happy to be here with you today and uh, and talking about like Brian said and, and you said, uh, Rick, great conference, really really great conference here this last week. It was absolutely. We had some great. Great presenters. Um, right away, Randy Dowdy was there, so he, he kind of went on the whole aspect of how um, you got to think outside the box. And I know Andrew and I hear him say that a lot because we're in the Total Acre program. So he did touch touch on his Total Acre program and uh, kind of what it involves and why you should sign up. And Andrew and I, we would definitely say sign up. It's worth it. Um, but then you had uh, Dan Bassey in my Pronouncing that correct? I think he goes by Bozzy. Uh, Bozzy? Yeah, Bozzy. Yeah, okay. Bozzy, something like that. Okay. He was he was good to listen to. And then he had uh, Jacob Burks, the old cowboy. It, uh, so one of the reasons I loved going to Nashville is I actually got to wear, like, my buckle and my cowboy hat. Because, like, if you wear that stuff in <laughs> Iowa, you're still kind of an outcast, even though it – I mean, I just – I love – Love being a cowboy, even though I'm not. But he he did say that buckles aren't bought, they're earned. So then I was kind of hesitant if I even wanted to have that belt buckle on that I bought. <laughs> but, no, what a great guy. He, <laughs> that, that was really good. And uh, Joe Vaklovic, of course, I'd watch him every morning, uh, him and Mackenzie on, uh, on YouTube. And just like I watch Jesse every afternoon on YouTube. But... Uh, Joe did a little little broadcast with uh, Matt Bennett and Brian, and which went over really well. And then we had some drinks and some social hour. And then the next day, uh, had some more good pres- presenters. Um, Brian Burke, he, it, 
you know, I don't know all these guys. I don't remember everything they talked about, but I can tell you I never got sleepy. I never got bored, and I never wasn't listening to them. You know, I never had to be on my phone unless it was just to check the markets quick, or I was even texting Brian. I sold some corn that day, so I had to get that covered. But, um, <laughs> no, great, 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 great presenters. David Hightower, I've never listened to in person. He he did a fantastic job. And then, of course, Brian and Matt, both how things were and how they're going. And um, mm-hmm. I I went into the conference not feeling good about the markets, but I actually left feeling good because of the position positions I'm in because of Brian, you know. We've done a lot of hedging, old and new crop, and I just feel good. And I think others that work with um, the ag market guys and ladies also feel good about the positions they're in. What not you say, Brian? Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, performance varies year to year, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. Some years are better than others. And um, the 2024 program that we have on right now, I think, is – has been pretty successful. Um, if you go back to the recommendations that were made, uh, and, and when you're a client, uh, you get uh, Intel sent to you directly for free as long as you're a client. And uh, hedge recommendations are, are part of what is uh, sent to you uh, through email. We are developing an app uh, that should be out April 1st where when we get a, a, a recommendation or piece of intel that we're sending out it'll just get pushed directly to you through the app so it'll be a lot easier and, and accessible to read but uh for corn you know we've got 20 percent of hard sales at, at 520 and then we've got five dollar floors under uh you know another uh 50 of production bit from the recommendations uh using options so uh and then on beans we're 30 percent sold there from recommendations so you know i mean it, and it recommendations are recommendations not everybody follows them to the t uh, it kind of depends on where you are, how you farm, uh, where you are geographically, and your comfortability level of of marketing a, a certain percentage of, of your production. You know, if you've got irrigation, uh, maybe you're a little bit more comfortable with the idea of growing bushels. If you're uh, in certain parts of the country where weather could be hard to come by, uh, maybe you're a little bit less aggressive. But um, you know, these are just recommendations again and, and ideas for uh, you know for clients to follow to help protect themselves. Just a great bunch of well-rounded, different individuals. Um, we actually interviewed one of your new hires, Lacey Schaefer, uh, a week ago on our on our podcast. She's from Andrews area, down by Villisca or o- Omaha, I guess Omaha. Yeah. And uh, God, what a what a nice person! And um, I, it just seemed like everybody I talked to at that conference just. So happy working with you guys, and you just got a, a great team of individuals. It started with four of you, I think, and now it's up into the 30s. Is that correct? Yeah, it started with the four founding partners, uh, which would be myself, uh, Matt Bennett, uh, Bill Biederman, and Jim McCormick. Uh, Bill and Matt uh, met on U.S. Farm Report. And um, they were at a, at a point where they were both kind of looking to do something similar. And, and then they uh, said, hey, maybe we should talk about this together a little bit and see if we would be a good fit for each other. And what they found was through having that initial get to know you phase that the priorities were the same, which is uh, faith and family. And if you can focus on those two things, um, then uh, through those two pillars, you will do good for your clients 
uh, if you have the right culture and the right values. And so that's something we really focus on when we look at the team that we're hiring is to continue to uh, ensure that that uh, any additional team members that we bring on fit that culture um, and, and want to make sure that we have uh, the client's interest uh, at hand. And um, they also know if they work for us that we will let them put their faith in their family first. Uh, and we understand that, you know, life happens and, and sometimes you may need some time off or need help. And so we're always there to help those other individuals uh, in their absence with their clients um, or, or whatever they need help with. So we have a, a very tight knit group. Um, and yeah, so it started with the four. We had another, another partner a year ago, Jacob Burks, who's the, uh, individual you'd mentioned is the, the cowboy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually, you know, was rodeoing and is that a verb? I don't know, but I'm going to say it. Sure. Uh, and then we, yeah, we you're we're, rodeoing. Yeah, yeah, rodeoing. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then we've got another partner we're adding this year, Tyler Shaw, who is also at the conference and he's an old rodeo boy too. So, um, just really good to have these guys, uh, you know, as part of the team. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the size of the company and the scope of the company has grown substantially in the last five years. We had our five-year anniversary this year. So we're just excited to, to keep the momentum going, uh, you know, continue to help more and more clients, uh, help them with their marketing goals, and, uh, uh, you know, help our, our personnel become successful. We, you know, we really believe if, if, the, uh, if the producer is successful um, and is being taken care of, then, then you're going to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so that's the, the way we, we uh, run our business. Yeah, it's an awesome way to run it, that's for sure. Uh, what do you think of them, Jesse? Well, uh, first off, as far as the conference goes uh, this year, uh, I thought it was great. And I've told this to Brian and to the ag market folks uh, before, and a lot of people, I, I love their philosophy of how they put this conference together every year, farming for profit, not price. Cause I think that that's super, super important. And it's something I talk about a lot on market talk or on AOA, uh, just in terms of, you know, I wish I've heard the stories, you know, Rick, you and I are from the same hometown, essentially. Uh, you know, I've heard the stories from in the past from family, friends and whatnot that, you know, they just, they're used to, okay, well, I harvested corn. Now I'm going to put it in the bin, the old Ronco method of set it and forget it. Yep. And then they get stuck with a certain price and then they're not happy about it. And it is what it is. And I guess my whole perspective as I develop market talk and more is to try and, and provide a sounding board and ideas and thoughts for, for farmers and ranchers to think about things kind of, you know, lined up with what agmarket.net's doing, you know, farm for profit, not price. Like think about this. There are so many tools in the toolbox. So use them, use the people that are out there, the knowledge that's out there. Don't rely on just not having a marketing plan. Cause I think it's so important here with the way things are in 2024. So it's just, I love how, how they frame the conference. And really for me, when I started working with them was right when I started market talk back in uh, 2020. Um, and I reached out to Matt Bennett and I'd known Matt for a while. And I said, Hey, I'm starting this podcast. I'd love to have you part of it. And he said, well, Hey, we just started this company and you know, we'd love to be a part of it and, you know, do some sort of rotation thing. And so that's how I started working with Brian and Jim and Bill and eventually Jacob and Tyler and the rest of the team. And, Really, it's just, you know, I think they're some of the, the smartest market minds out there uh, in the country right now. And so that's why I, I love working with them and just 
overall from the conference or from the day-to-day stuff. I mean, these guys know what's going on. I mean, they're mm-hmm. smart, and that's why I love working with them and talking to them and, and trying to bring what they have to say in their message, you know, out to uh, out to farmers and ranchers. I just, you know, I love what these guys do, for sure. Yeah, it's been really cool to kind of grow together, Jesse, yeah. because uh, you'd mentioned yeah. 2020s when you started, and we started in 2019, about a year earlier. And it was really important for us to get uh, some brand recognition because I think individually the partners were known names in the industry, but you know, who was agmarket.net and then having a partner like you to be able to share ideas, uh, you know, share who, who is our personnel and uh, you know, get us out there and, and get some brand recognition through market talk has been uh, absolutely vital for us. So I thank you for that. Yeah. Well, and, and two, just to piggyback on that, and I, Rick, I think you and I were talking about this during the conference when we had a sidebar, uh, just the fact that like with the lineup I have on, on market talk and then also on AOA too, like I don't just have anybody on mm-hmm. the shows. I, I want I would rather have a small rotating group of guests who I consider to be the best. Yep. Um, and I don't do that, you know, just because, oh, these are, you know, this is what I want and this is what I'm going with. I just, I'm like, I would rather have the best information out there on a day-by-day basis than, you know, having a thousand voices in the room. So that's why I enjoy my partnership with, with these guys and working with them every week. So Yeah, I just want to say something quick. Now, you know, you say that and, uh, you know, market to market was always the big one growing up, you know, every Every week I'd watch, you know, everybody had to be quiet in the house so dad could hear market to market and everything and still watch it to this day. Um, and it, to my dad, you know, him, he'll be 80 and he's not into all the computer and YouTube and all this stuff. So the way they've kind of went, you know, they, the first half of the program, they do kind of the stories and then they interview, but then they have that market plus afterwards where you see like another 15 minutes well he doesn't get to see that unless i'm going to go over there i i mean i guess i could but i'm going to have to go over there and play it for him every week and what i like about you jesse is your your market to market but like multiple times a day every day i mean it it's great because all you get is the interview you don't get like this big boring story up front you just you get to the facts and you yeah it's awesome love it yeah well, and that's, I, I've said this too. I, I am just the caretaker of the message. I'm not a, I'm not a broker or a trader. Uh, you know, I mean, I've learned a lot from guys like Brian. Uh, but I, at the end of the day, I, I'm a farm broadcaster. I'm just trying to bring the info to, to farmers and ranchers. So I'm, I'm the caretaker, the curator of the message. That's kind of how I, I treat it. And I just try to ask the right questions and, and provide the best information I can to folks because that's, at the end of the day, that's what I care about. So, yeah, that's what we care about too, right, Andrew? Exactly. Yep, <laughs> exactly right. That's what I was gonna say. So, back to the conference. What my question was, since I wasn't there, what was the hot topic that you heard most about? And Jesse, I'll start with you. Was it more about demand, production, just price? What What did you kind of get from your guests that you got to interview that were up on stage and farmers that maybe you talked to throughout the days? I would say. Uh, price was probably the the one main topic you know thinking about um, okay uh, for the most part the markets have gone pretty bearish on us here the last couple of weeks so I think a lot of folks that I heard from and talked to 
you know, a lot of what they were kind of talking about was where these price levels are and how there's just kind of this uneasiness among a lot of farmers, but also looking at demand as another big topic and how things kind of move forward from here. Um, you know, I, I think everyone, I think it's no secret that a lot of farmers are, are worried about, you know, commodity prices, cost of inputs this year. We're going to plan another, you know, record crop in terms of price, it sounds like. So I think a lot of that discussion, a lot of questions surrounded that. You know, there was weather too. Eric Snodgrass, probably the smartest, uh, one of the smartest weather guys out there in terms of ag weather. Um he really laid it out well to a lot of folks. And I think a lot of folks were receptive to him. It's like, Hey, you know, I can't forecast out beyond a certain point because at that point you're just guessing, honestly, I can give you an idea, but anything, you know, two months out, three months out is kind of a, as a long shot. So having someone like him frame up his discussion to think about spring planting season coming up and more, you know, that was really well received. I guess for me, it's just, I was amazed at the at the wealth of knowledge that was at the conference on multiple different facets and the amount of people who, you know, really just listened and then asked really good questions too in, in many of their seminars and sessions. And I'm, you know, Brian could share his thoughts of what he saw and heard from the speakers and folks. But I mean, in my perspective, it, it was really about some of those key things, prices, you know, thinking about cost of inputs, what's the demand picture look like. And, you know, we know markets go in cycles and it feels like we're kind of entering that down cycle right now. And so I think a lot of folks to Rick's point earlier in the show, you know, kind of left there with a little bit of optimism because, Hey, you know, going in, things are looking really bearish and kind of blah, but you know, okay, maybe, Maybe there's some ways to navigate through this cycle and this period. So kind of rambled on you guys there. No, it's that's a, what it's good. Friday no, it's good. That's what we want. That's yeah. where that's that's kind of my feeling and my takeaway from everything from a from a broadcaster perspective. Hey Rick, do you have that agenda you can throw back up there? Sure. Um because I think I could almost uh, maybe explain uh, you know, the uh, uh, presentations and what they were about. And uh, day one, uh, of course, Randy is going to be more of an agronomically focused uh, presenter. And uh, he really challenges you on, you know, ways to, like you said, think outside of the box and, you know, what should I be doing? And, and what I think the main thing I took from Ran Randy is what's your data when you're making decisions? What is the data you're making that decision based off of? Mm -hmm. And if you're not getting that data, how do you get it? What should you be testing for? Um, and so then when you think about what Dan Bozzi was presenting about, that was really a 50,000 foot view of what's going on in the ag industry right now. Some of the very big picture things, um, you know, his thoughts on maybe where value really should start to come in uh, globally and um, what, you know, could be some of the things uh, moving forward that could be positive and, and what's going to continue to weigh on things. Um, Jacob Burks, um, and this goes back to, I know Jesse mentioned a lot of uh, price because Producers want to know what we think could happen with price, but uh, you know our uh, again uh, title of the conference is farming for profit, not for price. And so Jacob looked at our app and how we use the app to focus on your operation 
and say, hey, if we look at all of your inputs and we can put them in here individually, we can uh, update that throughout the course of the growing season. We can set our yield goals, whether it's your APH or what you think you can raise, and then that can be changed throughout the course of the marketing year. Um, we can accumulate your sales in there, whether they're basis contracts, HTAs, future sales. Um, you can test option strategies in there and really look at it on a, on a per acre basis as far as revenue instead of saying, well, I want $5 corn. Well, $5 corn for a producer in North Dakota is not $5 corn for a producer in upstate right. New York. It's not $5 corn. It's the same for a producer in Southern Illinois. So what is $5 corn? It's different to everybody. We need to focus on your operation, not on a, on a price, right? Um, and then also uh, during that period, Jacob went through uh, Bill Biederman, one of our founding partners, is, uh, is stepping back from the company. Uh, he'll still have a role in, in big picture planning and whatnot, but he's not brokering anymore. And um, so he, he did earn, earn a belt buckle of uh, having 44 years in the industry um, with the AGM uh, Ag Market logo on there. Um, and then you'd mentioned Joe, we did a, a live taping of grain markets and other stuff, which was really neat to do. That was the first time he's ever done it live on location. Um, and so that went really well. And, and we just covered some of the bigger picture topics of, of what was, uh, you know, the narrative of the day. Uh, social hour was cool because we just had some live music. We had some drinks flowing. We had an hour to get to know each other. Uh, and then that went straight into, um, the, uh, dinner that night where we, I think we had some New York strips and a uh, little salad and some dessert. So that was, that was a nice dinner. And, and, uh, you know, all of the agmarket.net personnel are intermingled with the clients and there to, you know, talk about markets and, and, uh, answer questions, uh, breakfast the next morning. You had, um, the, uh, Brian Burke is the president of JSA. And so JSA is the commercial group that we work with. So you would, from a, a standpoint of who we are, we, agmarket.net works with the retail side, right? That's what it's called. That's the working with the producer directly. Uh, the commercial side, which JSA does, is working with the grain elevator, the co-op, the ethanol plant, the bean processor, the food company, the, the large users, right? And so they're very focused on things like spreads, and so uh, maybe from a producer standpoint, uh, what would be important there is spread management, uh, carry, uh, what to expect between two months in a, in a bull market scenario, what to expect between two months as far as the spreads in a bear market scenario. Uh, so one of the thoughts was that, hey, you better be looking at getting some coverage on December 25 corn um, if we can get this market back up. But do you sell December 25 or do you sell December 24 for your December 25 sales and then look for the spread between 24 and 25 December contracts to go to a 40 to 50 cent carry because right now it's only around 10 cents. So could you pick up an extra 30 to 40 cents by being hedged in these 24 first and then moving that sale to these 25 down the road? Um, so it's things like that little value added things uh, that the commercials are thinking about that we can pass on that type of knowledge to our clients. Um, then we had, uh, myself do some technicals, uh, Matt Bennett went through, um, you know, his presentation, which he's always very well received and, um, Hightower is another guy kind of like Bozzi that takes a look at big picture stuff and, um, the, uh, ideas of, of what could happen globally to change the course of commodity values. So it was just a, again, you know, we really curated this lineup to cover a numerous, uh, different angles in the marketplace from a big picture perspective, macro perspective, down to focusing on your operation. Um, so yeah, if you want to take a look at some charts here, 
Uh, we'll start March corn, um, and I'll give you guys kind of a sense of where we're at right now, and I think this is really the prevailing pattern on the chart that matters. Uh, this is the high that we had back in October. That was our fall high, and uh, ever since then, it's been in a downward trending channel. Uh, we're getting very close to the low end of the channel, and that w- next week will come in in the, in the low 520s, so maybe into next Wednesday, Thursday, there's about $0.08 cents of distance between where we settle today and where that low end of the channel will come in. Um, one of the topics that was discussed quite a bit was the, uh, and this is at the conference, was just how short the funds are right now. And everybody really stressed that that doesn't mean that the market needs to bottom today or tomorrow or next week. But from a very big picture standpoint, when the funds accumulate a short position to this size, uh, they historically have gotten out of that short position at some point uh, into the growing season, whether it's into planting or after planting and uh, gone long eventually. Um, Now, in a bear market, they will go short again and then they're just going to hammer it into fall. Uh, but you have to be aware of how the funds are positioned, the size of their position. And um, I know Brian Burke gave an example of, you know, what was it in, in the previous year? I think it was uh, the 2018 um, period, right around this time of the year, the funds were short, not quite as short as they are now. They were short about 225,000 contracts. And um, they covered those shorts, and then they got long about 225,000 contracts. It took them about six, seven weeks to do that. And what was the catalyst? And it was just a very small revision on a report where this reports just stopped being bearish. Uh, and then they covered and, uh, they eventually got long. The market kind of traded sideways in that year up near the highs. And then they went short again, and then they just hammered it, uh, into the following year. So this is kind of the outlook here for the, um, the March corn chart is that we're in this channel. And so now if you have a move to the upper end of the channel, that is probably your, your actionable opportunity. Um, my concern, and I'm going to pull up a December uh, 23 corn chart just because there's a similar situation right now, which is the fact that at the end of the month, we're going to have all these basis contracts come due. Mm-hmm. And so um, if you set a basis contract that basically puts you on the clock where you have to set the futures price for those bushels by first notice day, some uh, some entities want you to price it by option expiration day. So it's either going to be, you know, that option expiration day or the following week towards the end of the week, uh, which would be first notice day. So um, what ended up happening, and if you will zoom in in a little bit here um, of what the these 23 contract did. Uh, this was first notice day right here. We made the contract low that day. Um, and if you look at what we did, um, let's just say here is uh, February 9th. Uh, here's November 9th, right? So the same day of the month going into delivery. Um, we went down a little bit. We did get a little bit of a bounce in mid-month. And then from mid-month, they actually just hammered it here. So that was a, a 480 uh, price down to 447. So that was a, a 33 cent break just in those roughly two weeks. Um, and, and something else that happened at the same time uh, was also important for anybody that said, you know what, I don't want to price it right now. I'm, I'm going to roll my basis contract to March. Well, what ended up happening is the spread. And this is here again on, on November 9th, trading around what minus 14 minus 15. Mm-hmm. Well, in the next two weeks, it went to minus 27. And so for your listeners to understand why is that important if I have a basis contract? Well, if you roll it, let's say you have a a basis contract that's uh, option price. It's zero, right? Zero basis. It's it's the the board price, right? At that point. Um, If you said, you know what? I don't want to price my corn 
I want to roll my basis contract to March. Well, if you waited till the very last day, you lock this in at 27 under on the roll, which means they take that 27 cents and they reduce your basis by that amount. So now you're 27 under the March contract for your new basis contract. So now, and let's just say, hey, 27 cents, that's three months. These to uh, Jan, Jan to Feb, Feb to March, okay? So you've got three months, that's nine cents a month. So if you see something similar happen, now you're going to be looking at a potential of the March to May spread going to 18 cents. And so if I'm 27 under the March and then I take another 18 cents and now all of a sudden you're biting off another chunk where you're 45 uh, under the May. And then let's say May to July goes another 18 cents, right? So you could see how this adds up very quickly where you're all of a sudden 63 under the July contract. Mm -hmm. Um, All the while you're paying interest on the money. And not only are you paying interest on that money because you haven't sold it yet, but also had you have made the sale, you could potentially, if you don't need that money for a period of time, you could earn some interest on it. So you're talking a a major swing in the interest conversation. Um, So that is important. We covered this a little bit on the technical side, even though that's not really doing technicals, that's not charting, but it's something where I can use the chart to visually show you how that works. Um, Another thing I showed was the, um, the transition that we had in 2023 um, from the bull market of 2020 to 2022 and how it really resembles the um, transition from bull market to bear market uh, back in the uh, 2012 to 2014 period, right? So just structurally, how is this similar? And you could see, you know, in, in these circles, you have this big peak, you break, you have the secondary peak higher, big peak break, secondary peak higher. You have this consolidative wedge right here, which we had here, and it had roughly the same angle of descent. And actually, I'm going to show you something. I use a channel tool, which all this channel tool does is it lets you draw a trend line, and then you can duplicate the angle of that line, right? So it's going to say, all right, this is the angle that I want. I have another line over here that I can put the same angle on it. So incredibly that period of consolidation before this big break was coming down at the same angle as it did 10 years ago. Um, And so then once we took out that uptrend line, it really started to hit the skids, right? So this is just really eerily, very eerily similar in the moves that we had. Now, we used 2013 as an analog year for quite some time as far as how this was trading this year, very similar to 10 years ago. The one major difference um, began in January because this market in 2014 bottomed on the January report. And that led us to several months of short covering where we got a chance of selling front month corn back at 519 and a half. Now, maybe on the positive side is that low was all the way down at 406 and a quarter. We haven't gone that low yet, but maybe that needs to happen over the next couple of weeks as we get into the uh, period where we're pricing those basis contracts. Um, and interestingly, maybe we're, we're just off in timing a, a little bit, but uh, could we see the market over the next couple of weeks break that next 20 cents like we did when December went into delivery, come back to that major level of support and then find ourselves uh, getting a little bit of a rally. Now we had this high in, in um, October at five Oh nine and a half. 
the high that we had back in, in 2014 was 519 and a half. Um, and so uh, I remain optimistic technically that maybe if we can build a base and then see a, a short covering rally for a few months, that we could actually see some old crop $5 values in front of us. Um, and that's why, uh, you know, as Rick had mentioned, you know, we're making some sales. We've been hedged. Uh, we're making sales here as he, uh, you know, maybe needs cash flow or whatever reasons he's, he's making the physical sale. Um, and, and then we're replacing it with some call options so that if we can make a low sometime here, we've got a few months to participate in an upward market. Um, and so that's the type of thing that we did during the technical presentation. You know, we looked at beans too, really in the same fashion. Um, you know, if, if you want, I can cover that. But, uh, but I guess the main thing is if anybody's listening and they want me to look at a market like this and show you like what I think and why from a chart standpoint, I'm happy to do it. Well, and, and I'll piggyback off what Brian was going through there too, uh, real quick, Rick and Andrew. I yep. mean, please, from my perspective, this is why I have smart guys like Brian on my shows Absolutely. because stuff like this, from my, from my view, the way the markets are in 2024, you can't market the way you did in the 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s anymore. You, you, you just can't. Because there's, I mean, you can look at history, like Brian was looking at history to see that, you know, history does repeat itself in these markets. But I feel like, and you guys can add, a, you know, I'm sure a great farmer perspective here. There is a lot of money on the table for you guys nowadays. So just taking advantage of and using tools in the toolbox to protect your risk, I think is just, is huge. It's so important and, and not getting stuck in the ways that, you know, your dad and your grandpa and your great grandpa, et cetera, did their marketing because <laughs> realistically, I mean, you could, you know, one minute have $6 corn and the next minute have 350 corn. And you could be wondering, man, I just lost a ton of money because I didn't have a plan and I didn't use the tools that were in my toolbox nowadays. I mean, for me, you know, there's, there's still a lot of stuff about charts and, and puts and options and calls and spreads and this that I don't completely understand, but I have right. a pretty good handle on it from, you know, learning from guys like Brian. And it's just, to me, Having a marketing plan nowadays with the way that the funds kind of run this market and the computers run this market and everything else, it's just, it's, it's foolish, I think, to not have some sort of plan and to work with someone like Brian or any, you know, whoever else that mm -hmm. knows what they're doing when it comes to this stuff. I just... You know, I echo what he was going through there. I mean, there's there's just too much at at play here. There's too much risk on the table to not be smart about it. So that's that's my caveat that I would throw in there, I guess. So yes. yeah, and I would I would like to say, you know, and, and just back to that thought process in DS twenty five, okay. Um just think for a minute of what could happen if we get to fall of twenty five. And we are at similar values to where we were making lows um, in fall of 2015, which here, you know, you're making lows here on the front month contract in September at uh, right around 350. Uh -huh. And so if you find yourself at the point where you have the ability to sell December 24 corn 
at $5. And then you roll it to D's 25 at some point at, let's say, a, a 40 cent carry from December 24 to December 25. And now all of a sudden you're finding yourself short corn for D's 25 at 540. And then come fall of that year, you're down at 350. Think about that may potentially be an operational saving type of a sale um, when you find yourselves 18 months down the road, yeah. if we continue in this pattern of shifting from bull market to bear market. And anything can happen this summer. We know that if we do have severe weather and we have a drought, then all bets are off. Um, and, and Rick, maybe I could ask for some permission on um, discussing how we've handled these 24 for a portion oh, yeah. of our hedges. Yeah, go ahead, please. Um, so we used March short dated options and we, we bought puts and we sold calls. We bought the $5 put and I think we probably sold the 550 call if I'm not mistaken. Uh, maybe it was 540 was somewhere up in that area. And so generally when we sell a call, one of the very first things we'll do is when that call is filled or the position's filled, we automatically put an order in to get out of that sold call at a penny. It is marginable when you sell that call, so that's something you have to be okay with. Uh, but we want to eliminate that as soon as we have the opportunity to. And so if you buy that sold call back at a penny, there's only a penny more left in it, right? So you can only make an extra penny. I'd rather get rid of it, take away the marginability of the position, and now you're just left with the put. The reason we picked the March short-dated put was because March options expire at the end of February. Well, what do we do in the month of February? We set our spring price for crop insurance. So this was a way for us to kind of take a hold of that crop insurance value and say, all right, we're going to have X portion of our expected production that we know our crop insurance floor is going to be at five bucks. And even if it's not because the market says it's 480 or 470, well, for us, it's five bucks because we have that floor there. So what I envision us doing is, is at some point, I suspect that these options, uh, when we get to expiration, will be in the money and they'll turn into future positions. Um, and then it's up to us to decide when we think is the right time to maybe buy uh, a call. And do we go further out into summer or into, you know, end of June or what, what have you, and maybe have a call or a call spread or something. Uh, and then that way, if we get another swing up, it's going to make it easier for two things. Um, we'll have that call in place. So now maybe we can feel comfortable marketing some more bushels on another bounce uh, because we have something that's a little bit of a backstop against it. Uh, or we have something where we could say, hey, we just picked up 15 or 20 cents. So now that we're back to five whatever corn, well, you know, we'll, we'll sell five, 10 corn plus we made 15 cents. So it turns it into five twenty-five corn. Um, or you could say, Hey, I bought this call spread. I like my original sales at five bucks, but now I've got some bushels that, um, I, maybe I don't want to price them in futures cause I still need to grow them. And I don't want to say I'm, I'm sold at this price until I know I have the bushels. Well, maybe you take that call spread and you say, Hey, I picked up 15, 20 cents. So I'm going to take that 15, 20 cents. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to buy a put with it. And I'm going to put a floor under these bushels that I don't want to straight sell because I want to make sure I grow them first. Mm -hmm. But at least they're protected because I probably am going to grow them because I'm a, I'm a good farmer, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, everything you say makes sense to me. And it... June of 23, when you called me up and said we should be selling some new crop corn for 585 and 575 cash uh yeah i wish i would have sold it all 
<laughs> I sold enough. I wish I would have told you to sell it all. I, I know, I know, but geez, I, I wouldn't have sold it at all had you not even said that. So. But to me, you know, hearing thoughts like that, man, that, that sounds a lot better doing that than uh, waiting and then being forced to sell, you know, 420 corn, mm-hmm. calling up the elevator and make it a straight cash sale. Yeah. Yeah, because you got a tractor payment. Yeah, you got a payment due or something like. Yeah, which I I did have to a little bit. I had to settle for four thirty eight, but we bought it back. Knock on wood that you know, Mm -hmm. cover those bushels. And we and we had puts under those bushels, so maybe we didn't have a straight sale under it, but we had a put that picked up value to at least cover a a chunk of the difference. Yeah, for sure. Um, And something. You know, Jesse, you had mentioned like the funds and the algos and all of that. Um, and and to me, the funds can be your best friend when they want to buy it and they can be your worst enemy when they want to sell it. That's just how it is. So, you know, the, the producer uh, outlook on the funds can go from, you know, evil speculator to, you know, boy, I, I love these guys. Um, and so you have to realize that the funds are there to hurt people. They want to make money, and, and it's at the expense of someone else, and that's just how the world works in the financial market. So, like, when you think about a futures contract, for example, if you buy one, that means someone else has to sell one, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a winner for every loser. It's an exact same amount. So the fund, when they take a position, they are trying to make someone else lose money. That is the very basic point of it. And so when you're in a bull market, the person that is uh, out of position, if you will, is the person that needs that product, right? So if they haven't covered themselves to the upside, they, every day the market goes up, it's worse and worse and worse. So they know who's out of position given the circumstances and they try to cause that person to lose more and more money for their own benefit. And it works the other way too, where unfortunately right now, the producer in America is out of position. They own a lot of grain. Mm -hmm. Don't think that the fund manager isn't very well aware of that. And they are probably like we mentioned here with basis contracts, they may put their pedal down further over the rest of the month, knowing that you guys have to price stuff that you have basis contracts to. And these guys also have other departments where they look at charts And so if you're a fund, you have a fundamental division where you know what's going on in the marketplace, maybe the big picture fundamentals, what's going on in the cash market. And then they have a room of these guys that just sit here in front of a computer screen like me, and they may not even know what the chart is. Maybe not, may not say corn. It may not say beans. It may not say cattle. It may just be a price chart. So they have no attachment to it. They don't care what it is. They are just analyzing the chart on how they do that. And then when they take these fundamental arguments and then you take the chart arguments and when they line up, that's when these guys pile in. So uh, I think that's just important to know that they don't care who's on the other end. They don't care if they're, they're causing the U.S. farmer to lose money. They don't care if they're causing, uh, you know, a big end user uh, to lose money when the market's going up. They are there for their own financial interest. And right now their financial interest is at odds with the U.S. producer. Yeah. Do you think... Um just thinking here locally, we're seeing a lot of uh, free price later. Is that a way that most of these uh, ethanol plants co-ops are getting their hands on these bushels so that we can continue having a short position overall in the market? 
Yeah, so um, that was one of the things that uh, Brian Burke actually talked about at the conference. Um, and, and maybe, Rick, if you want to, uh, if you remember what he said. No. Uh, okay. <laughs> not, I, I'm sure I remember it, but it's not as good the, as you saying it. <laughs> the gist of it is that um, free DP is not a benefit to the producers, especially in a bear market. Um, it's an origination tool. Mm-hmm. Right. So think about your, your, whoever you're delivering to, if you, if you have free DP locked in, they know they have those bushels now. And so what does that mean where um, you're still not priced? Okay. So you still have all of the risk of the futures market. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what does that do for basis levels? Right. So if you and all your neighbors went and locked in free DP and the elevator says, well, now we know we have all these bushels. Do you think you're going to get any basis pushes? Yeah. No, they no. got you. Nope. They got you. And again, it's free DP until a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you still have a decision to make. So they can be useful, right? If you, if you don't have the, the bin space and you need to haul in the grain and uh, they're going to let you price it later, but you better be vigilant in pricing it when you get a, a rally in the market. Jesse, what were your thoughts on David Hightower? I had never heard him speak in person before. I just know about the Hightower report, but you know, in, in Dave's case, I mean, and Brian, you can talk about this, but I mean, that guy is all over the world. Oh, God, uh, I yeah. sat down to interview him and he's like, yep, I'm here. And I'm back out on a plane to Tokyo tonight. Yep. You know, I mean, he's guys like that are getting such a world perspective and, 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 you know, we have a lot going on here in the U S but, on the global scale, there is a lot that plays into our markets and, and really into agriculture as a whole. I mean, I think about I'm watching all these farmer protests in Europe right now oh, yeah. and things like that. So, I mean, having guys like Dave Hightower at their conference and just giving me thoughts on what's going on around the world, I think sometimes we maybe lose sight of that a little bit. There's been a lot of talk about China's economy lately in the markets, and I know that was – you know, some points of discussion. Everybody always wonders, well, where's China at as far as demand and this and that? And I, I know that was brought up a little bit too at the conference at times. But I mean, just thinking about how much we're in a global market these days as well. Um, I think that was, you know, a reinforcement uh, takeaway for me, so to speak. And just, you know, hey, it's back to what I said earlier, it's not your grandpa's market anymore. No. And I think that's, that's an important thing to remember. I don't even think weather plays a big deal anymore in the U S you know, uh, Eric Snodgrass was there and he's great to listen to. And I watch him on YouTube as well. He's just as comedic in person and very easy to follow as far as weathermen go. But, um, he, what I thought was interesting, he kept popping up and showing the drought picture and, like the rest of the evening or that next day, everybody would ask where I was from. And I'd just say, oh, that big, remember the drought map in Iowa? Yeah, that big red <laughs> spot. Yeah, yeah, that's that's where I live. <laughs> and everybody would laugh. But I could not believe, um, he said that area in 18 months is 48 inches behind on snowfall and precipit- you know, any precipitation. And I had no idea. And you, you look at that, and that's it's a big chunk of Iowa. We still had good yields last year. But mm-hmm. the whole time it was dry last year, us farmers that were, we thought, oh, the markets have to rally. There's a drought, you know, but they don't. 
they don't have to. And I remember Brian and Matt listening to their interviews with different places. Like markets don't have to rally, and that's and we're in such a small area. It's not like it was the whole U.S. that wasn't getting rain for x amount of days and then the hybrids you know the different varieties we have nowadays i mean even my dad will agree that it doesn't seem like you the u.s has a weather market anymore it's always about south america i i would say that i think the u.s weather still matters but it's maybe a shorter window of time that it matters now okay yeah really i would say june 20th to summer september 1st is when U.S. weather really, truly, I think, matters. Because I think in terms of spring planting with the way hybrids are, I mean, yeah, if we have on weeks, off weeks, or whatever, we're having trouble getting it into the ground. As long as it's in the ground by June 1, the market's really not concerned about it. That's my perspective, what I've learned here over over the years. Um, and, but to your point, you know, South America weather, obviously, with the amount of acreage they're adding, that was another thing that was talked about at the conference is, the amount of acres that are being added in Brazil, like the equivalent of Illinois and Indiana last year mm-hmm. or this year. Yeah. I mean, so I still think U.S. weather matters, but I think it matters a little bit less throughout the year, a shorter time frame maybe would be how I would say it. Okay. Right. So think about what that means, guys. Um, we, we will still have a domestic weather market. There will still be a period where the funds decide they don't want to be short. And there's a narrative that, hey, what if, you know, USDA's trendline yield isn't achievable, which, by the way, whatever the USDA trendline yield is this year, which will be 181 or 182, uh, the February Outlook Forum will show what they'll likely use for the trendline yield in May. Uh, We've never grown that ever, right? So even though we had a record crop this year, it is still like four bushels below what their trend is. So there will be a conversation at some point of, well, what if it's hot and dry? And there's going to be weather models flipping back and forth and the funds are going to say, well, we don't want to be short. Maybe we go long. If there's a story share short term, you're going to have funds fighting other funds. So there will be opportunity. But the cycle, the timing of the cycle has changed. Uh, The bigger the South American crop gets, the longer it's going to take world buyers to come back to us because it takes longer to chew through their crop. Uh, But what that also means is that you may need to do more marketing during South American uh, weather markets. So you think about highs that we had uh, this November, for example, in soybeans. That was the South American weather market. We may not see uh, opportunity on beans like we had on on the uh, the November highs uh, unless we start getting really concerned about our, our bean production. Um, you think about we had, what, $14 plus, you know, beans. Um, that was made in, in uh, the November, I think it was like 15th, was that last peak mm-hmm. before things rolled over. Um, that was your South American weather rally to take advantage of. Um, the other thing I would say is because it is more of a global market, um, the Brazilians overtook the United States a decade ago on soybean exports. They overtook the U.S. and, and corn exports last year. It'll waffle back and forth on corn probably for a couple of years before it really makes another surge. Uh, but why is that important? Well, one of the dynamics of the bean market that we talked about at the conference is that we still have tight domestic domestic stocks, right? So before the report that we had yesterday, um, carryout was 280 million bushels, but it made a big move on the report yesterday up to 315 million bushels. Why did it do that? Well, it did that because the size of the Brazilian crop is now allowing world buyers to not buy U.S. soybeans anymore because Brazil is a buck and a half cheaper, right? So um, that window for us to get beans out the door narrowed 
and now Brazil's got all this fresh supply on deck. Um, and so the timing, the dynamics, uh, and, and the fact that Brazil's large crop will probably over time cause us to go from, you know, 200 and some odd million bushel carryout uh, up to maybe close to 400 million bushels by the end of the marketing year if we don't have a reason for buyers to come in and, and buy U.S. soybeans. Uh, and that's just going to compound into next year's balance sheets as well. And I think to add to that real quick, I think we're kind of in a lull period here as well as we try to find new demand for U.S. soybeans. You know, we talk about expanding soy crush and renewable diesel and things like that, but that side of the market's not quite ready yet. So in between now and when that side of the market's ready, to Brian's point, I think we could see U.S. ending stocks of soybeans climb higher here until we find those new uses here across the country. I mean, I, I hear about the stories, all these crush plants coming online and things like that, but they're not they're not all quite there yet. No. So I think, to Brian's point, this is going to be an interesting year to watch that soybean balance sheet. I think it's going to keep ticking higher. Well, and think about, you know, people that build a house, right? If you want yeah. to build a house, whether it's a builder or if you're doing a custom house or whatever it is, they'll tell you it's going to take a certain amount of time. Does it ever take that long? No, it takes a lot longer. So when they are telling you, hey, this plant's going to be up by here, it's probably not going to be up that at that point. So um, it's likely going to take a little bit longer than we think to get a lot of this stuff going. Um, and so, but when we do get a good plant to come online, uh, that's going to be an instant good uh, jump in demand for that local area and, and will be a, a basis positive, uh, um, you know, evolution for, for soybeans across the Corn Belt once these uh, plants are established. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a tough market right now. There's no doubt about that. And really the, the best thing we continue to, to look at moving forward is just that idea that at some point the funds are so short, they're going to want to get out. But when is that? And, and no one knows the answer to that quite yet. Yeah, that's why we got to keep in touch with uh, guys like you, whether, you know, whoever we have doing our hedging and whoever we can listen to, we need uh, all the advice we can get. But the biggest thing is just to get everything hedged and in a position like Matt Bennett always says, uh, or, or did say again, I've heard him say this many times, but figure out what your profit is and lock it in, you know, make, make sure you can farm another year. I mean, and that's, I think that's going to be big for the next three or four years and and he mentioned that and I know other guys did as well you know like mm-hmm. let's let's like tie things down for a while and and uh try to yeah. save as much money as we can right Brian I think there's an important distinction to make too because I had somebody ask me well you know pay attention to cost production and mm-hmm. and the guy from, you know on the crowd raises his hand he says well how do I know my cost production if I don't know what my crop is looks like and um I I understand that but I think he's mistaking cost production for a cost per bushel. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know what your seed cost is, you know what your chemical cost is, you know, if you're paying cash rent, right. Those costs are what they are. Now maybe things pop up over the course of the year where, you know, if you're planting and something breaks down and you need to, you know, uh, say, all right, no, this is my cost to fix that. And I'm going to spread it out over my acres. And now it's another additional cost per acre. Uh, but don't mistake your cost of production for your cost per bushel. 
Um, and we uh, you, generally we would also advise when we're using our app or where we're looking through these break-even levels to allow an income for you. So you don't want to mm-hmm. just cover the cost to grow the crop. You want to allow an income. That's the whole reason you're doing this. Uh, so figure out, I want to budget. My goal is to have the, you know this much return on my money or pay myself this much of a salary for the year for being the CEO of my farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, build that into your, your cost of production so you can break it down on a per acre basis and then shoot for that goal. Yeah, and well, you can, oh, sorry to interrupt, Jesse. I was just going to say, you can put in best case scenario for your cost of production, you know, inflate it a little bit. And then, you know, things that you can take out like an extra fungicide pass or a wide drop pass of nitrogen or whatever. And and you can subtract those as the year, as we don't get rain, you know, you don't have to put all your eggs in one basket every year. You can, you can kind of sideline those different uh, applications if you want. Go ahead, Jesse. I was just going to say, I mean, like things change, you know, like we just saw a court ruling this week about dicamba. You know, there's there's some questions if we can use over the top dicamba here on soybeans and cotton this year. I mean, you know, things change, but to your guys' point, you can kind of, you can have a pretty decent idea and have some estimate targets that are going to be pretty close at the beginning of the year. And I, I guess at the end of the day, like, you guys podcast farmer sense use your farmer sense and and be Mm -hmm. smart about what you're doing uh i i love the term don't be an ostrich and bury your head in the sand because that's not going (laughs) to get you anywhere yeah uh figure out and and have a plan and go with the plan and you may revise the plan you know seven eight times throughout the year you you know plan a gets her to b c d e f and all the way to x but Mm -hmm having a plan and doing something better than doing nothing. Yeah. And I think one of the things David Hightower talked a lot about was don't put yourself in a position where your decision-making is when the bullets are flying. And I think that goes along with having a plan. You may need to change it. You might need to say, you know what, we thought we were going to do this if we got to this price, but in current conditions, maybe let's look at this idea instead, but at least having an idea of, Hey, if, if we get to this point, we're going to do something. Um, because you know how it goes when the market starts going up, people get bullish. Everyone's always the most bullish at the high. Mm-hmm. They're always the most bearish at the low. Tops are made when everyone wants it. Bottoms are made when no one wants it. Mm-hmm. And so you have to find a way to keep the emotion out of it. And it's, it's difficult. Um, but I think, you know, I, I like to think that having somebody uh, that's a sounding board that can, you know, talk to you uh, back and forth and just share ideas is, is hopefully helpful. Um, uh- and I'll say something too, and you guys can uh, debate me on this or not, but I, I chuckle sometimes and I, I hate to hear it when somebody says, Oh, you know, I was, I was waiting for corn to get to five bucks and I was just waiting and waiting and waiting. And I was going to sell at five. And then it got to five and I say, well, I think we can go to five ten or five twenty, <laughs> yeah. or corn got to, yes. you know, four ninety eight and three quarters. And then next thing you know, two days later, it's at 425 and they didn't sell. I mean, I realize that there's a lot of bushels at, on the table and that does, you know, a penny or two can be a fair chunk of money. But are you really concerned if you get 498 and you know you need to sell a little bit at least? Right. Are, are, I mean, are you really worried about getting that extra two cents to get to five? Well, and what changes your marketing more, getting that extra two cents or not getting it at all and having the market go down? There you yeah. go. Right. I would rather have the sale and wish I made that extra two cents 
than be sitting there saying, I didn't get anything done, period. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And getting just a little bit done is better than nothing. But I don't know about you, Andrew, but I think this was a great podcast. I think we should have them back again sometime. I should say, though, that they both offered. I didn't have to ask to be on here, so that was very <laughs> nice of them. I appreciate that. <laughs> Yes, thank you guys for your time. We, I really appreciate it. I learned a lot, and I can't really talk about the markets as much as I'd like to, but uh, very interesting material. I do have a question for your time in Nashville, because Rick told me about going to the bars and listening to live music. Did you guys get to experience that at all? Uh, we did, yeah. Uh, maybe not as much as I would like, because I, I just – I try to stay disciplined and I went on at 10 AM the next morning. So, uh, I went to bed pretty early that night. I just had a couple drinks at the bar with some guys and, uh, went, made sure I got to, to bed and, and my brain was working the next morning. Uh, but, uh, um, Tuesday, or I should say Monday night after everything wrapped up, I, I did an RFD TV taping, uh, Tuesday morning. So we stayed that extra night and I got to, my wife came out too, actually. So I didn't mention that, but uh, so her and I got to hang out in Nashville that night. Uh, it is a really cool town. Uh, it's got a really good energy to it. And uh, I guess what I would mean by that is um, you think about Chicago, for example, where if you went out with some buddies in Chicago and uh, everyone's drinking, you're likely to get in a fight. Yeah. Um, no one in Nashville is out there to, to get in a fight. You bump into somebody, oh, oh yeah, no problem. You know, mm-hmm. everybody's just having a good time. So that's what I mean about the energy of the city. Um, and, and I think uh, um, maybe someplace where I end up one day. Yeah. Well, I'll say this, Brian, you're welcome to come on down here. I live here. So mm-hmm. for me, it's a bit of a different perspective. Yeah, we all need to be jealous of Jesse. That's for sure. But, uh, and I mean, you know, and Rick and I go way, way back. I mean, we went to the same high school and everything. And, um, you know, he knows a lot of my story. I, on top of being a farm broadcaster, I'm an artist, singer, songwriter, yep. producer. And so that that's why I eventually, you know, I moved from North Central Iowa down to Nashville to be more surrounding that industry. And I've just kind of found my path and still doing you know, farm broadcasting because I'm passionate about it and everything with the shows that I'm hosting now and still getting to do my music stuff. So, But for me, I mean, the perspective is, you know, living here, I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff in this town. Um, I will say this, though, for anyone that visits, don't get caught up on just going to Broadway. I say this to everyone. I say, if you can, help it. Get off of Broadway at least one night. Broadway's where all the the bars mm-hmm. are, all the artist bars and the and the bands and the and the acoustic stuff and everything that's all going on and all the partying and and whatnot. But go find a songwriter bar or a writers round with songwriters and that kind of thing. Just get away from Broadway at least one night mm-hmm. and experience some other parts of Nashville. Because to the point of what Brian said, like the the vibe of the city. Uh, there's a just there's a great vibe off of Broadway as well that's very similar and really cool. So uh, I tell people, don't just go to, I mean, nothing against Tootsies or anything like that. Great places, but don't go there every night of your three, four-day trip down here. Or like with Germantown be an example of what you're talking about? Like yeah, Germantown, little... Midtown is a great spot. Getting down on Music Row. There's so many little neighborhoods that have really – blown up the last couple of years here in Nashville 
uh, Wedgwood Houston's just south of downtown. I mean, it, you know, if you love food, this is a food town. Uh, somehow, some way, it's become a food town, in my opinion. I mean, there's just there's a lot to do. There's a lot of things to see and and vibes to kind of take in. Uh, there's more than just Broadway. So, yeah, I love live music. I love uh, bands. You know, uh, especially good singers that sing good cover songs. Uh, I did have some time Sunday morning. I uh, went to a cafe. My wife didn't go with me. She had she had work, or actually, she has a different job that she couldn't get enough vacation for either. But I was alone, so I just went down to a diner Sunday morning and had breakfast. And then I did walk down Broadway, and I, of course, the doors are open at all the places, so you can hear all the music playing. And two of the places I went by just drew me in because of the singers. So I walked in there, sat down for 45 minutes or an hour, and didn't even – I had a beer at one place. Other places I had some water and <laughs> – and nobody cares. The bartenders are like, you need something? Like, no, I just want to listen. They're like, okay. So they throw you water, and you just sit there and listen. It was great. And, yeah, I can't wait to go. I, I hope you guys have it there again next year so I have a good reason to go. And I know my wife wants to go as well. And I'm trying to get Andrew to go and get signed up with Lacey. Uh, <laughs> yep. I think he needs to work with her. She's a good person too. So, Are you guys going to Commodity Classic? Yep. Yep. Awesome. Yep, we'll be there too. Um, I'm. Uh, I, we'll have a booth there, and I forget what the booth is. I think well, I can look it up, but I'll be down there for a couple of days. Uh, I've never been to Houston, so it's just a, another city I want to uh, check out. But yeah, booth sixty six oh five is going to be the AgMarket.net booth. Okay, and I know for my case, I know for Market Talk, I'm pretty certain Thursday and Friday during the trade show we're going to do Market Talk live. Uh, with the National Corn Growers, so from two to three Central, you can swing by and see us doing the doing the show live for that hour. And for AOA, I, I can't remember off the top of my head where we'll be, but we'll be talking about it on the show and advertising it. So I'll be uh, I'll be down there running around like a crazy person probably and uh, hosting the shows. But hopefully people uh, stop on by and and say hi and chat with me a little bit while I'm down there and. Uh, Brian and I will try not to get into too much trouble. Yeah. Yeah. We'll keep it clean as far as anybody else knows. Yeah. Do that, please. We'll be there the whole week. We got the Total Acre Conference that starts Sunday afternoon, and that ends uh, Wednesday morning or Wednesday noonish, and that's when the Commodity Classic starts. So, yeah, looking forward to it. So, Thanks again, right, guys. Fellas. Thanks for having Thank me. Guys. Awesome. Appreciate it. Until next time, we'll see you.